Well, let's run a little thought experiment to start out. Uh, so this is not a sermon. Uh, this is more of a TED talk right now. Okay? <laughs> All right? Raise your hand if you can name all four grandparents that you have in your family. If you can think of the, the names of all four grandparents. That's a, maybe it's a nickname. <laughs> You're like, I don't know what the real name was. It was just Granny. Um, okay, so we'll go with Granny. <laughs> you can keep that. Keep your hand up. Now here's the big leap. How many of you can now name all eight great-grandparents? How many hands are going down? Most, if not, okay, most. Ooh, impressive, impressive. <laughs> Can you name one great, those that put their hand down, one great-grandparent? That's good. Now let's go one, one, one generation further for those that still had their hands up. Can you name all, what's the, great-great-grandparents? <laughs> Can you name all of the, ooh, Kevin, sorry. <laughs> Got you there. But what is fascinating about this, some of us were out earlier, <laughs> it's okay, what is fascinating about this is that we are sadly just simply, what, four generations from being forgotten, right? <laughs> oh, cool. What a great, great message this morning, Slim. <laughs> Awesome, real, real cheer, cheery one. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I think it's going to be good. <laughs> For some of us, this feels like uh, death. Uh, others of us, this may feel liberating, right? Uh, <laughs> so today, I, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you by that, 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 that thought. And I want us to encourage you to say their names. Uh, to say their names. That's, that's the title of my sermon today, Say Their Names, copyright Malcolm Foley. Uh, he came up with a sermon title before I came up with one, so that's good enough. Uh, and so we'll unpack Say Their Names uh, in four ways. We're going we're gonna, to, as you see maybe on your bulletin, name, fame, shame, and proclaim, okay? Pastors <laughs> are just notorious for that, right? Name, shame, fame, and proclaim, okay? Um, if you're just joining with us this Sunday, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're probably feeling like this is like, you're coming into the last episode of a series on Netflix going, what's happening? <laughs> well, you are. Uh, this is the last episode of our sermon series, In the Beginning, uh, our study in Genesis. And so this is the last one we'll take before we, we break for a new series, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but this is, this is what we talk about. That's this, these first 11 chapters are typically the, the beginning chapters, the early chapters um, of Genesis are kind of this, this little uh, group here. And so what we see, if we were to review all of this and do one of those Netflix you know, review uh, things, is if we were to hit pause and go back, we would see that God had this giant creation of the world. And that alone, the first two chapters, there's just so much packed into the first two chapters of the Bible. That God created the world. Uh, he created everything out of nothing by the word of his power. Uh, and there's so much in there in that. He created us, man and woman, in his image, right? And then he, he, he gave us a rhythm to order our lives, a rhythm to, to work six days and to rest. Uh, and then we saw sin enter the world, and we just see the destructive effects ever since. And it's been, it's been rough as we've gone through how quickly it happened uh, with sin entering the world and the first kids murdering another kid, right? We see the destructive effects expanding so much until God finally 
floods the whole earth and does a hard restart uh, of the earth. And then we see Noah and his family, and you think, now things are better. And as we heard last week, things weren't going so well either uh, after the hard restart. Uh, and so that's where we're at, right? We had the hard restart, we have Noah, and now we get to his families. And so as we get to chapter 10, we're going to do chapter 10 and 11 together, uh, because if you look at chapter 10, it's just full of names, right? There's so many names. <laughs> chapter 10, 1. Let's just read the first four verses here. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Madai. That just made me think about a different Madai. Okay. Um, Meshech and Tiras, the sons of, of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togmarath, the sons of Javan, Elishash, Tarshish, Kidim, and Dodamin. From these, the coastlands people spread in their lands and each in their own language by their clans in their nations. We've only read four verses, and I would say most of us are going, oh gosh, stop. <laughs> stop reading all of the names. <laughs> we get a little overwhelmed with all of these names because we're going, why do I care? <laughs> and that, that's, that's exactly what it's there for, is to make you go, why should I care? Who are these people? Why should I care? This is the point here. And on one sense, you're exactly right. You may be thinking, let's just move on to the next chapter. And in one way, I would say, this is true. Maybe we should, which is why we're doing it together. Because Genesis 11 is actually dischronological. It's out of order. It goes back in time. Genesis 11 is this little short story that happens in the middle of chapter 10 to make sense of chapter 10. Because what happens in, in Genesis 11, in verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And yet, as we read in Genesis 10, it tells us not once, but thrice, that humankind already possessed multiple languages. And so you wonder what, what's happening here. And so a big portion of chapter 10 happens after Babel chapter 11. But before we get into that story, uh, the thing I want to say about Genesis 10 uh, is, is one of the most beautiful elements of genealogies is you know where you come from. I'm going to pause right here because I made a big mistake. We didn't even read the word. Did anyone catch that? I saw Devin caught it, because he's supposed to read for us. <laughs> and he's like, is it time yet? This is a long intro. Hey, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Let's shake it out. <laughs> Idiot. Okay, so uh, we're, we're reading Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Uh, and because of what we're reading, Devin's going to read it to us in Chinese. And so he's going to break after each verse. We'll have English up on the screen so you may be able to translate what he's saying there. All right, so the word of the Lord. Nasi全世界只有一种语言,大家说同样的话语。他们向东迁移的时候,在世纳地发现一块平原就住在这那里。他们彼此说,来,我们做专,把专烧透吧。他们就把砖当作石头,又把石溪当作灰泥。他们又说,来,我们建一座城,造一座塔, 
，呃，塔丁塔顶要通天，他们要为自己立立名，免得呃分散在全地上。耶和华下来要去看看世人建造的城和塔。耶和华说：“看哪、啊，他们像同是一种，呃，一个民族有一样的语言，他们一开始就做这事。”以后他们所要做的一切就没有可以阻拦他们的来。来，我们下去，在那里混乱了他们的语言，使他们听不懂对方的话。于是耶和华把他们从那里分散到全地上，他们就停止建造那城。因此，那城的事就叫巴别，因为耶和华在他们那里混乱了全地所有的人的语言。又从那里把他们分散在全地上。This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, hey, let's let's pray.、Uh, Father, would you give uh give us clarity uh, over your word? Lord, we thank you to to hear your word in its many different language and expressions.、Uh, Lord, would you speak loudly? Would I step back? And we'll be be able to hear from you this morning. I need to hear from you this morning, and so Lord, would you speak? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sorry about that. We'll restart. Start the sermon over. Let's do a thought experiment. No, no, let's not do that.、Uh, <laughs> Genesis ten. Genesis ten is basically ancestry dot com, right? It's just sharing all of all of the the families and who, where we are coming from. In this chapter, we see Noah. And his kids, and where they go off to and run off to, right?、Uh, so we see Noah's kids, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, as they go and grow and settle in different lands. And so there, this, there may be a helpful image up here on the screen to kind of see where they go. Ham's descendants,、uh, if you can see it, settle in North Africa. Shem's kids are in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Japheth's、uh, go to Turkey, Iran area.、Um, but two things, chapter ten helps us with. Is one? It tells us that your name matters, that these names matter, that history matters, and 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 one day we will be on a family tree that goes on past us, whether we remember our great great grandparents or not. That there will be a family tree that our names do matter. But two, what this. Family tree tells us is that we yes we all come from Adam, but then after the God wipes out the whole world except for Noah and his family, every single one of us comes from Noah and Noah's family here. There, what that means here is that all nations are made from one blood. Acts seventeen twenty six says God made all men and women from one nation, and so race or races. Are, these are really a, a social construct, something that we've 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 created, because biblically there is there is one blood, there is one race, the human race, and, and the nations spread out from here. And so Genesis ten is teaching us that we are far more alike than we are different. Amen. But and yet, and maybe there was a hesitancy on that amen because you're like、ah, I've heard that used in a bad way, right? But we also see that there's distinctions. Even though we are all from one, there's also distinctions, and so we, we we would say we're not colorblind or culture blind. Chapter ten mentions nations, it mentions clans, it mentions languages, and so there's distinctives. And so say their names. 
honor the ancestors. I mean, history is full of power and meaning and culture that plays into today. And so yesterday, as we've heard, we, we celebrated Juneteenth. Uh, it's a day that should be celebrated for joy and true freedom. But if we take time to truly say their names and, and, and read the history books, we can also lament our white ancestors' actions, and we don't even need to go back that many generations to do so. Right? And so that's what Genesis 10 shows us. That not only how the generations spread and migrated together, but how sin spread and migrated as well. And so notice 10 tells us that they spread, but it doesn't tell you how or why they spread, right? Genesis 10 doesn't tell you how did they move out. They just spread and filled the earth, but reluctantly so, right? They, they were not hoping to do this. Remember, God told Noah the same thing he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, go and fill the earth. And what do they do? Genesis 11 tells us in verse 2, as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They were told to fill the earth. They went a couple miles and said, this looks good. <laughs> Let's set up camp here forever. Right? This is <laughs> so we move from name to fame. The people began making these technological advancements. Now, now stone was not as readily available uh, in this region. And so mass production of bricks was actually something uh, to be considered as a, as a major advancement in, in this time. Humanity was... Humanity was really doing something at this moment. They, they, were, they were feeling themselves, or as some have said, they started to smell themselves, like, ah, I'm smelling pretty good. <laughs> this cologne is making me feel extra confident. You, you know people like this? Uh, they, I've got something going for me. You're feel, really feeling themselves and becoming spiritually bankrupt. Uh, and y'all ever been around someone who has felt like their body odor doesn't stink? You know, the people like this, maybe not literally body odor, but someone who just feels <laughs> overly confident about everything in life, and it just makes you want to tear them down a couple notches. <laughs> like, let me just show you how your house of cards has been built <laughs> and just have it all come crumbling down, right? Like, we know something about them that they don't seem to think that they know. Like, they think the world doesn't know about my secret sauce, the world doesn't know about how I, I do things. And verse 4 seems to describe this. Verse 4 says, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so it's in the face of God's abundant blessings, they decided to stage a coup. They decided to, that we're doing some stuff, Let's, let's make a name for ourselves, and, 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 and let, let's get people to praise us instead of our creator. And so they stage a coup to have people praise them instead of the creator. Now, we're really building something special. We can overthrow the Lord of the universe. Let's make a name, and that's the danger of fame. Fame is all about you. It's all about self-praising. It's all about self-glorifying. It's self-absorbed. It's all about us. Now, was it a sin to build a great city? Absolutely not. We, we love cities. We're for cities. Was, was it a sin to build a giant tower into the heavens? No. We love towers. We love the Alico building. Like, is it a sin to be a city manager? We have one in here. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> your job is good. <laughs> it's right and true, right? It is not a sin to do these things. It's the reason that they did these things. It's the reason they built these things to make a name for themselves, to say my name, not to say their names. It, it's not our ancestors. It's, it's let's make a name for me. Say my name. That's Destiny's Child, right? Y'all don't know none about that. Okay. <laughs> now this tower, <laughs> this tower with, it, with its head in the heavens, I thought about singing it, uh, with, <laughs> with its head in the heavens, uh, now that's a highly technical term when it's up in the tower and, the high, and its head in the heavens. It's, it's really, it's describing this, this ancient structure called a ziggurat. I think we have an image up here um, of, of a ziggurat. Um, it, it's, it's this giant structure or a giant mound with all these stairs. It was, it was meant to be a gateway between heaven and earth. Now, it wasn't a way for us to get to God. It was, it was humanity's way to try to help God come to earth, right? It, it, was, it was a way to help God descend to us. Let, let, let's see if we can help God help us. <laughs> let me help you help me. <laughs> that, that, that's what this is. Like, and when it says, let's, let us make a name, it's not just talking about fame and, and, and fortune, but really they're saying, let's make a name about immortality. Because the belief in that day was that your continued security in the next life depended on whether or not that your name would continue to be spoken after you were gone. And so they're alive as long as we continue to keep speaking their names. And so building huge monuments was one way to avoid scattering and, and, and irrelevance. And so secure yourself in the next life. And so today, we say, say their name and, and to not overlook those who have been taken from us unjustly uh, by unnecessary police brutality or, or to keep talking after them after they're gone. It's, it's a way to honor their name, and so please say their name. But the temptation of every single one of us is to twist say their name, to re reverse it to say my name. It, it's so that we can live on past death, that we can live on in the next life. And so the sin of Babel is actually the sin of Eden, is actually the sin of our world today, of humanity's failed attempts to grab life for ourselves. I mean, this is the description of humanity. As we've said over and over and over again, Genesis isn't just history, it's sociology. Like Genesis isn't just who they were, it's who we are. As we read Genesis, we're reading about who we are as human beings. It, it, is, it is sociology. Let, let me ask you this. You ever feel like you're building your own Babel? You ever feel like you're building your own ziggurat? Your own ways to, to make sure that you last beyond this life? I mean, here, here's, the, here's the acid test to find out if that's true. Does irrelevance, irrelevance haunt you? Like, does it haunt you to be thought that you may not be talked about? That you may not be remembered? And, and I think the true, the true acid test would be this. Can you go for a month without social media? Now, I'm not saying that's holy or the good and right thing to do, but, but what I'm asking is, can you do it? 
Can you go for a month without having someone affirm what you have said or know about what you did? I'm speaking to myself, y'all. <laughs> this, is, this is a hard thing because what is it saying about us if we can't go a month without trying to have people see me and talk about me, what is that saying about us? I, I think another test, if you don't struggle with social media, you're like, <laughs> feeling good about yourself, like, these people, <laughs> sitters. Another test, another test, uh, a guy named Pete Scazzaro, it's one of my favorite authors, uh, and, and he's asking this question, what matters to you more? Being with God or doing for God? Which one matters more to you? Being with God or what you are doing for God? Some of us with some of this ministry bent are starting to feel real uncomfortable now. Do you enjoy more what you can do for God? Let me, let me help him help humanity. Oh, that sounded a lot like our text here. <laughs> or actually just being with God. Apart from the grace of God, this is the self-centered project that we are all working on. We're all working on our own Tower of Babel, on what we do in one way or the other. Even if, even if we sugarcoat it with some spiritual language, we're all saying, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's build our kingdom. And there's nothing wrong with doing great things, but everything wrong when we try to do it for our own name and our own fame. But when we do it, not for our own name, but when we do it for Christ's name, that changes things, doesn't it? it for Christ's fame, that changes the game. Like, as the mission, famous missionary C.T. Studd said, there's only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. There, there, that's where lasting meaning happens. And, and it's because of God's great love for humanity that he doesn't let them wallow in their shame. It's becoming a shame. What does God do? Verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city. You look at that? He came down to see the city which the children built. I like saying just the children. <laughs> which the children built. The, the whole point of the tower was to help God descend down. But humanity can't even help God do anything, right? Like, God never, do, never needs humanity, and so God never does actually descend down the tower. He descends to the tower. You see that? <laughs> From God's perspective, he has to come way down just to see the tower. <laughs> this teeny, tiny, frail tower. Like, like, I think we think God's perspective is always like, is like oh, wow, you did that? <laughs> I can't believe you did that, Slim. Good I'm impressed. <laughs> when, when, in fact, God comes down and he's getting on his hands and knees and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess you guys did, did, did build something there. Cool. All right. <laughs> like, he has to get a magnifying glass to see this, this tower. Like, it, it's ironic that we think that, that we're going to show off to God. <laughs> the all-glorious, as we just looked at in the beginning, who creates the world out of nothing. And we're like, look at our tower. Look at what we've done. And so this, this passage brings some perspective and some focus. As we try to build these towers into the celestial heights, God has to descend down. And then in verse 6, it actually indicates that this is, let's not press this irony too far. 
God does not scoff at the building and consider it, you know, much to do about nothing. There is no suggestion that he views this as a joke. He does not laugh at them or ridicule them. Rather, he takes this scheme quite seriously. And when God says in verse 6, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so God's not saying, you know, if they work as a team, nothing can stop them. They're like the Avengers. He's not saying that, no. He's not saying that at all. He, what he's saying is, if they're not careful, they're going to make a mess of themselves. God, God's like a parent, and you know, parents can see things before they happen, right? All, all of us parents know that we can see the future. Like, like we can see the cup spilling <laughs> before it ever happens. We know that it's on the edge. We know it's going to spill. We know a fight is about to happen, Jordan and Knox, before it ever happens. We know these things because we can see into the future. Parents see the mess that's on the horizon, and, and, and we intervene, and that's what God is doing here. And so God says in verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language, in verse 8, and disperse them. And so God sends them the Holy Spirit straitjacket. If the Lord leaves them in their state, they would have gone on to do more evil. They thought they could gain eternal life through the tower and building of the city, and so he intervenes in order to protect humanity. The Lord gives them a cultural reset. Acts 17, Paul says that he scatters the nations so that God would reach them. And so it's in his mercy and grace that he forces them to stop grasping in the wrong direction and start grasping in the right direction. That is, it is an act of grace for God to intervene in this way. Like, he, he, he leaves the tower halfway finished. You notice that? They, they just stop in the middle of this building. They leave the tower halfway finished as a testimony to their folly so that future generations would say, we better not go that way. What was intended to be a monument to their name is now a famous for their shame. When you think of Babel, you think of their shame. Don't be like them. Job 5.12 says he frustrates the devices of the crafty. He sees you running in your idolatrous ways and he trips you up out of grace. Some of y'all ever been tripped up by God out of grace? That if, if he lets you get what you wanted, it would have been your destruction. It doesn't feel like it at the time. It doesn't feel like it at all at the time. But he lets you fall flat on your back so that on your back you can look up at your Savior and say, I need you. And so we look back on ziggurats and Greek mythology as just foolishness, and we're like, how stupid. How could they even believe that this would help them get to God or help God get to them? But we wouldn't know it was stupid had God not intervened and, and messed up our plans. And so some of us, the Lord has taken away our idols. And, and, and we were clinging so hard to them that the Lord just had to slap our hands and to, to release our hands, our grips on these idols. And some of us, if the Lord let us get what we wanted, we'd still be chasing after them. But grace intercedes. Amen? Thank you that grace intercedes. To, to babble to its founders. The Akkadian word meant this gate of the gods. 
Babel was meaning the gate of the gods, to reach. But this place, which becomes Babylon, the narrator parodies the significance with this Hebrew phonological equivalent, meaning confused. And so Babel doesn't mean gate of the gods anymore. Babel means a babel of voices, a a mumbling, a confusion of what happens. Because we see what happens when all these languages come together. With all of our differences as as human beings, I think our difference in languages has to be one of the biggest barriers to cross. Like, have you ever been in a position where you were in the minority of, of language? where no one spoke your language. I can remember 15 years ago when I found myself in, the down, in downtown Munich, Germany. I got, I got mixed up and lost from some of my friends. Did not speak German. It's an isolating and a lonely place to be, not knowing how to get back to my hotel. Thankfully, I found someone who spoke a little English and helped me along the way. But when, when you don't know the language, it's an isolating and an infuriating thing. And when we, we hear in America, when someone doesn't know our language, what do we do? We just say English louder, <laughs> thinking that's the answer. <sighs> it is a frustrating thing. That's what God does. He, he frustrates their plans by giving them different languages. And this is the creation of our different languages. God gives humanity different languages, and then he disperses them over the face of the earth. Now, does this mean that they just, they disperse because they naturally click with people who speak like them, and so they went with that group over here? Maybe. Or does it mean um, that God is referencing a, a breaking up of the supercontinent, Pangaea, right here at this moment? The text is silent. <laughs> I want to believe that's the truth, but I don't know. The text is silent on this. But in God's grace, he does frustrate our plans. He, he doesn't just put us in straitjackets, though. That's not all he does. He releases us into the wild because God's grace is never just a straitjacket. It's actually liberation. He's liberated us to proclaim his name for his fame. And so what is fascinating about the book that we preached through when we planted the church, the book of Acts, I don't know how many of y'all were actually here for that. (laughs) But in the book of Acts, in the very first two chapters, we see a little reversal of Babel. Do you remember in chapter 2, if you've read it or if you were here, there's this event called Pentecost, which is, is, is 50 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and what happens is this wild event, the Holy Spirit comes down as like a dove and this fires, and, and people can speak all these different languages and yet understand one another perfectly. It's this reversal of Babel. In in Acts 2, 3, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so men, women, Jews, Greeks, Libyans, Egyptians, Romans, anyone everywhere was proclaiming the name in their own language. And supernaturally, they had an interpreter so that they could understand it. They, they would understand it in their own language. And, that, and so that's what we're going to get back to. That's what we're actually working towards when we get to heaven. Because we're, we're told that, that we will keep our languages in heaven. That we will fall at the feet of Jesus and every tribe, tongue, and nation will be speaking their language, praising Jesus, and I'll hear it and I'll understand it. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be beautiful. 
And so confusion and babble are not the ideal. It's not the plan. It's not what God wants for us. God doesn't just want to frustrate and leave us in that straitjacket. And many times we think to battle sin, we just have to stop things. If I'm struggling with sin, I just need to stop this thing. But that's never how it works. We, the people in Babel were worshiping creatures. And so worship is not bad. Proclaiming is not bad. Fame is not bad. We just have to redirect that worship. And so we redirect the worship to the one who's actually worthy of it. We are worshiping creatures. And so well, I just want to say this morning, do not build your own trust on a building to get to that other city. Trust in the God who's created a city just for you. Right? Don't try to earn and build your way to heaven. Trust the God who came down from heaven and built a city for you. Stop going your own way and trusting in your towers and stop trying to make a name for yourself and proclaim his goodness and trust in the Lord. You see, what we need, God has in spades. If you need deliverance, there's deliverance in the name. If you need acceptance, there's acceptance in the name. If you need joy, there's joy in the name. If you need hope, there's hope in the name. If you need approval, there's approval in the name. If you need a savior, there is salvation in the name of Jesus. And so this morning, say God's names. Hope in his name. You have Yahweh, you have Elohim, you have El Shaddai, Adonai, Yeshua, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Logos, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the second Adam, the Jesus, the Savior of the world, the great Comforter, the Paraclete, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Truth. Say their names. It's not about us. And the sooner we can see it, the more liberated we will be. Ooh, it's not about making my name outlive and outlast this life. It's about lifting up the one who's created us. Salvation is all about what God has done for us, not what we do to live into eternity. Salvation is all about what he is doing and what he has done. That's why God came down, not just to see humanity, as in Babel, where he wants to see what we're doing, but he actually took on humanity. That's why God came down and took on humanity. He didn't just watch from afar. He's not, he's not distant God. He is imminent God. He is imminent with us. And he's intimately immersed with us because he knows that we can't make a stairway to heaven. He's going to have to do it himself. And the cross of Christ is our access to God. It is our gates of the gods in the cross of Christ. That's where we meet our, our Lord and Savior. It's our way to living on into eternity. And it's not just a, a way to live on into eternity. It is the only way because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So this, I think there's a great old hymn. Maybe you know it. It says, not what my hands have done. You know this hymn? Oh, I, think, I feel like it's appropriate. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Ooh, set my spirit free. I love that. What a liberating thing that is. That, the set my spirit free. Like free, free from the grave, free from the penalty of sin, 
free from my obsession with my own name, free from needing my name to last, free from my obsession to make my, my name last. God knows your name. He knows your name. Be free. God knows how many hairs you have on your head or lack thereof. Be free. God knows these things. Be free. Be free to enjoy and glorify him today. Christ's victory over the death is your victory over the penalty of sin. But it's also a victory over our bondage to sin and to your, king, and to your kingdom that we keep trying to build. And so be free and bow before the God, the creator of heaven and earth, who made us in his likeness and who put on our, his, put on our like, his likeness to be one of us who died and redeemed you. And so I say, say their name this morning. Sing their praise this morning and be free. Let me pray.